He is worthy of our adoration. We do adore him. And all that within us, we want to adore him. Good to see you uh, today. And uh, we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke this morning. If you'll be turning there in your Bible, we're going to get away from our normal routine on Sunday mornings, going through the Gospel of Mark for a couple of weeks. And I actually want to bring two lessons, two messages from this same uh, passage today. But Luke chapter 15 is where we'll be. Good to have guests with us today. Thank you for coming to worship with us, and uh, we're looking forward to what the Lord has for us throughout the day today. Good to, again, to have folks that are back with us who've been out with sickness, and I'm glad we can still assemble, glad we're able to meet like this, and um, we thank the Lord for it, and uh, more and more of our people have been exposed to and have worked through and have survived uh, the COVID thing, and so we're thankful for that. It's not behind us, but... um, at least if you've had it, which we have, uh, you've got a little bit of uh, antibodies built up maybe that uh, can fend off and get, get around it again. But uh, these are unusual times, but God never changes. The need never changes. Truth never changes. And uh, you can't go by everything that the media says. We just want to trust the Lord and obey him today and love him and adore him as we just heard. Luke chapter 15, and we're going to begin reading in verse 3. If you're able to stand with us uh, for the reading of Scripture, we'd invite you to stand as we read some verses together. Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 3. The Bible says, And he spake this parable unto them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, If he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness, and go after that which is lost, until he find it. Very reasonable question. These people, of course, many of them were very familiar with agriculture and livestock, and shepherding is a big part of their uh, lifestyle there. So he said, if a man had ninety, had a hundred sheep, and he lose one, wouldn't he leave? Uh, the 99 and go after the one. In verse 5, and when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he cometh home, when he returns home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep which was lost. I say unto you, that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth. More than over 99 just persons which need no repentance. Either what woman having 10 pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, doth not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently till she find it. And when she hath found it, she calleth her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I had lost. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. So Jesus talks about a man who lost a sheep, and he talked about a woman who lost a coin. And then verse 11, he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divideth unto them his living And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. There wasted his substance with riotous living. 
We'll stop reading there. So we have not only a man who lost a sheep and a woman who lost a coin, but now we've got a father who lost a son. And uh, we're going to look at this together again. Very familiar passage of scripture, but one that I find always uh, challenging and helpful and, and, and really, quite honestly, emotional sometimes. You think about the loss of these things. So let's pray as we begin. Father, thank you for your word today. It's a blessing to be here, to stand again with the open Bible, with the people that we love so much, and to go through your word together. We're grateful to be here. Father, we pray that you'd bless today. Help us uh, to glean from your word, to receive from your word the things you have for us. We take it as it is, Lord, not just the words of men, but in truth, the word of God, and we're grateful for it. We know it has the power to change our life. The entrance of thy word giveth light. And so work in our hearts today as we, as we receive your word, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. One of the things that I want to begin with today in this passage is just understanding what it is to be lost, um, lostness. Um, the word lost is found numerous times in the Bible, Old and New Testament, but many of the times are in this one chapter. If you're looking there in Luke uh, chapter 15 and verse 4, it says about the shepherd, he, was, he went after that which is lost. And in verse 6, he says, I found my sheep which was lost. In verse 9, the last part of verse 9, I've woman says, I found the peace which I had lost. In the verse 24, later on in the text, we'll get to this in a moment, the, this man says, my son was dead and is alive, he was lost and is found. In verse 32, the chapter ends up with these words about uh, his son, he says, he's, he was lost and is found. What does the Bible mean when it uses the word lost? What does the Bible have in mind? Generally, when we think of losing something, we, we think of things that happen in our life on a regular basis. I lost my keys. I lost my glasses. You know, I lost my place in line. I lost my ring. I lost my phone. I mean, I, we can all relate to these things, right? We, you may never lose things, but I do frequently. But in the Bible, it means much more than that. It's not just about losing a possession, the word that's translated lost is translated in other words in our English Bible. As a matter of fact, it's most often translated not as lost, but as perish. To lose means to be destroyed. It means to be ruined. A lost sheep has not just lost his way. A lost sheep is helplessly endangered. He's in a bad place. The lost son didn't just lose direction because he missed a turn he lost everything he lost his reputation he lost his relationship with his family he lost his inheritance he lost his sense of self-worth I just want to say all that because to be lost is more than just I missed a turn it's really to meet a, a lot of loss in your life so lostness is not just a geographic mistake it's a spiritual condition in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 it says, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them who are lost. People who are lost don't understand the gospel. They don't understand spiritual things. They're spiritually blind. 
and eternally doomed unless something happens in their life. Now this son, this youngest son of our text in Luke chapter 15, he was lost, but he was found, thankfully. So sinners are lost. Uh, by the way, this, this introducing this passage here in Luke chapter 15, we have uh, this matter about in verse 4 about a lost sheep. But how did Jesus use that? Look in verse 7. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. So he's not just talking about a man with a hundred sheep who lost one. He's really talking about lost people. He's talking about sinners. And Jesus said there will be joy in heaven over one sinner that repenteth. Same thing about the woman with the lost coin in verses 8 and 9. She was desperate to find her coin. So desperate, verse 8 says, she swept the house. I'm not saying she never swept the house. But in this occasion, she swept the house. And she finally found it. And she, she had a party. Verse 9 says, rejoice with me. I found the peace, this, this piece of silver which I'd lost. Likewise, though, verse 10, don't miss this. I say unto you, there's joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repents. So all this is not about coins and sheep. It's not even about sons in a human sense. It's about sinners. It's about sinners who are lost. Sinners who have not just made a wrong turn. They're in danger. They're in peril. They're hopelessly lost. They're helplessly lost. They're, so what's so bad about being a lost person? For number one, you're separated from God. You have no relationship with God. You don't even know what God's will. Every human being has a purpose, a divine purpose, a purpose that God has in mind for us. And yet if you're lost, you don't even know what His will is. A person doesn't know what His will is. And the worst of it is, they're not just bound to die one day and having spent their life outside of God's will, they're eternally lost. There's an eternity in hell awaiting them. So, so all through all these parables, the parable about the sheep, the parable about the coin, the parable about the son, are all about relating to sinners. I didn't read verses 1 and 2 in the beginning of the chapter, but I want to read it now. I hope you have your Bible still open there in Luke 15, 1, because this, these two verses introduce the entire chapter. Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners... For to hear him. They were coming to Jesus. And the, the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. So it's not hard to visualize this. Jesus is teaching, Jesus is ministering to people. And as the Pharisees, who were the religious people, the the, the hypocrites in the crowd, they noticed that all these publicans. And sinners were listening to Jesus. Publicans, as you probably know, were a despised group of people. They were a, a group of people that they looked down upon in the Jewish culture. They were, they were tax collectors. They were dishonest. They were fraudulent. They were uh, politicians, if you would. And the people despised them for it. And... The sinners were not just 
average sinners. Everybody's a sinner, right? All of us have sinned. But these were notorious sinners. These, these were sinners that were recognized because of their sinful lifestyle. I was reading yesterday in a lexicon, Thayer's Lexicon, which is a Bible reference book with definitions. Here's the definition it gives of this word sinner. People who are devoted to sin. People who are preeminently sinful. They're sinful in character and consistently. Another definition Thayer's gives is especially wicked. These were notorious sinners. What I would call them. They were known sinners. And Jesus is teaching and these sinners and publicans, these despised people, the people and the people that those in Jesus' day would look down upon, they were attracted to Jesus, and the, and the Pharisees are criticizing and murmuring because Jesus eats with sinners. So all this, this whole chapter, chapter 15, is about relating to sinners. And Jesus is going to use this chapter, and, and we won't finish it today, we'll look at it again tonight. But he's going to use this chapter really to unveil how he views sinners. Now keep in mind, this is very important for all of us to think about today. Jesus did not associate with sinners for what they could do for him. He associated with sinners because of what he could do for them. And sinners were attracted to him. The woman at the well that had... Many husbands and was living with a man who was not her husband. Zacchaeus, a publican up in a, a despised man. The thief on the cross, convicted, criminal, executed. A woman captured in the very act of adultery. Mary Magdalene, who was demon-possessed. All these sinners, Jesus helped. All these people that were notorious sinners. And in this passage in, he, in Luke chapter 15, I say it again in verses 7 and 10, Jesus said, heaven rejoices. You think, you think a woman would rejoice because she found one-tenth of her silver coin collection? But heaven rejoices when a sinner gets right. Or one shepherd who had who'd left the 99 to go out and bring in one. If you think that the rejoicing takes place there, heaven rejoices when a sinner repents. So so we're going to, these observations before we move on, because we're going to move on now and focus on the lost son. But in both these cases, the silver and the sheep, we see the serious concern of the owner. I'm not going to stop until I find it. Both of them were involved in these diligent searches. And once they found the object, there was a cause of great celebration. Now look in Luke chapter 15, if you would, and we stopped reading in verse 13. But let's focus for the time we have remaining today on this lost son. I want to read verses 11 and 12 again just to refresh our memory. Luke 15, 11, And a, a certain man, the Bible says, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them, the younger of the sons said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. He separated the inheritance, what he had. Now this lost son will eventually leave the father's house. We'll read about it in a moment. Now think about this though. You know, it's one thing to lose a sheep. 
If you've ever lost an animal, lost a dog, lost a you know, pet, you know, it's one thing to lose a sheep. It's another thing to lose a valuable piece of jewelry or a coin. How many of you ladies have ever lost, either temporarily or permanently, lost a wedding ring? Let me see your hands. See, that's why we shouldn't even give those things away. <laughs> that's a big percentage of people here. Lots of people have. But as much as a person would be crushed to lose a wedding ring or to lose a pet, it's nothing compared to losing a son. This, this man is about to lose one of his only two sons. There's a sense in which I think it would, we could safely say that he had probably lost this younger son before he actually left the father's house. Uh, presumably, you would, you would assume that this scheme was hatching in his mind for a while. And it's, we, we're, this is all presumption. You can't, we can't say this uh, for certain. But the father could have been totally blindsided by his departure. But there's also a chance he wasn't surprised at all because the signs were around him. But for whatever reason, this passage in Luke chapter 15, the younger son no longer wanted to live in his father's house. And we're going to look at some of the details of that. But what do we know about his father? The Bible doesn't tell us a lot about his dad. It doesn't tell us about what it was like to live in that house. We know his dad was, I think, fairly wealthy. He lived on a ranch. He had, he had a number, a multiple of servants on his property. He, so he, he had two sons and he had, he had livestock and he had, he had multiple servants. And he only had two sons and both those sons would be heirs of whatever estate he had. But whatever the, whatever the younger son had coming, staying on the, on the property wasn't enough to keep him at home. Another thing that I, I can think we can fairly safely assume about this is lifestyle on the farm wasn't like it was in the far country, right? Because there were things in the far country that were attracting him. Uh, this, this idea of living in the far country. He, the Bible says it was riotous living. He was living in a, in a very rebellious way. But another thing we know about this family, and I'm kind of introducing all this because I, I think it all is a part of the equation, is there's some, we know there's some disconnects between the father and the sons. Tonight we'll talk about the older son, but right now we're talking about the younger son. So we can only go imagine. Listen, I, I, when I read these things, I try to put myself in the scene. I try to put myself in the head of the father. I try to put myself in the head of the son. We don't know what's going on in the son's mind. But think about this. Young people, young people, you think about this as well as parents and older people. What goes on in the head and the heart of a young person when he considers leaving home and leaving family and leaving the life that he's lived for the far country? What goes on inside someone's head? I can kind of relate to that because I know what went on in my head when I was a youngster. When I was attending church with my mother, myself and my two brothers, dad was not a churchgoer. 
But there came a time when I started thinking. I was sitting in church, but my heart wasn't in church. I was thinking about one of these days I'm going to get out of here. One of these days I'm going to go my own way. One of these days, you know, mama's not going to tell me what to do. I can relate a little bit to what might have been inside the head of this younger son. We don't know for sure. Maybe he got tired of the rules. Maybe he got tired of being under his dad's authority. You know, maybe his friends were telling him, hey, you know, I know, you're, I know what life is like here on the farm, but you, you, there's a whole other world out there that you, you're really going to enjoy if you can ever get out there. Maybe they to- built it up, what it's like. Probably got to thinking he was missing out. Now, I, I'm, kind of, uh, I'm kind of laying this out before us today because I think that's something all of us need to think about. As parents, we need to think about it. As spiritual leaders, we need to think about it. As Sunday school teachers, hopefully one day we need to be thinking about this. This deserves our attention. Why do young people raised in church forsake this life? You say, well, I, that's a pretty negative thing to think about. I think it would be a positive thing for us to think about it. And I think all of us ought to think about it. Even You say, well, I don't have any kids at home. Well, we still ought to think about it. As a pastor, I think about it. Why would children raised by godly parents think about, and that's not even what this sermon's really about, but I think it calls us to think about this subject. You know, there's something, and I say this for the benefit of, of parents whose children are here today. There's something as a Christian parent, myself, that's who I am, a Christian parent, that means more to us than anything else in this world more than anything else in this world. And that's we want our children to love and serve the Lord. Nothing else matters like that. No house, no car, no retirement, no occupation, no friends, no popularity. Nothing matters more to us than that. And so we want our children to love the Lord. We want our children to serve the Lord. Some people think, and maybe your mind's already gone here, some people think that maybe we're just, maybe children leave because we're too strict. You know, I had a man actually say this to me one time. He's, he's been in, this man's been in heaven for many, many years, and he knows differently now, but he didn't know it then. He said to me, you know, if I had to do all over again, I wouldn't make my church, kids go to church so much. And when he said it, I corrected him. He's a, a man much older than me, but I corrected him. Children going to church is not a bad thing. Children going to church is a good thing. Strictness is not always the problem. And leniency is not always the solution. People say, well, I just, if I just give my kids what they want, then maybe they'll stay around. I want to tell you, that's not necessarily true. Right? It's just not. Here's a father who's facing the most heartbreaking moment of his life, I'm sure, when his son, his youngest son, is choosing to go to the far country. And and the son made that choice on his own. Let's look at it again in Luke chapter 15 and verse 12. It says, The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me, I have those two words underlined in my Bible, Give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. I have that word, me, underlined. And he divided unto them his living. 
Now, one thing we know about this younger son, he's become very selfish, right? By the way, selfishness can be common among young people, and it ought to be taken seriously. He became very selfish. All he's thinking about is me, my time, my fun, my freedom, my money, all this stuff. He's thinking about himself. You say, well, that just goes along with the, the territory. Not necessarily. So he's a very selfishly minded young person. We know that from the scripture. We can't get around that. So what did he do? Look in verse 13. And not many days after, it didn't take long, the younger son gathered together and took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. Now very few verses describe a very, very challenging time for him. He wasted his living he, he wasted everything he had with riotous living. Riotous means reckless living. And it says in verse 14, when he had spent all. Think about that. It's all gone now. When he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land. This is like a perfect storm. He's got this inheritance. He's living it up. His friends are with him. He's having a great time. But as soon as the bank was empty, a famine came. That's not just in his life. I think it's a famine in the land. When he spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land, and he began to be in want. He began to be in want. That means he needed something. Now he needs help. By the way, that's not a bad place to be. That's not a bad place to be. If you're sitting here saying, man, I'm just, my world's falling apart. I don't have anywhere else to turn. I'm in a bad place, that could be a good place if it causes you to start rethinking what you're doing and where your decisions have been leading. And that's what happened to this fellow right here. He lost it all. He was broke. There's a famine. The economy crashed. So he gets a job, it says. He has to get a job. Verse 15, and he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. He joined himself up with someone in that far country, and he sent him into the fields, into his fields to feed swine. That's a glamorous career, by the way. Slopping the hogs, they used to say when I, when I was a kid. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat. He's so hungry, he's so desperate, he would eat the pig slop. And look at those last words in verse 16. And no man gave unto him. He began to work for a pig farmer... And he was so desperate, the sl we never had pigs. But I, well, I take that back. My dad had one one time. But I've seen people feed the pigs. And, and the, when they say slop, that's all the leftovers from the table. And it's just mushy, liquidy, spoiling, rotten food. It makes you feel hungry right now, doesn't it? You say, I'd never get so hungry that I'd eat slop. This man was thinking about it. Pretty bad, isn't it? No man gave to him. Now, just think about this for a moment. I mean, doesn't this, doesn't this have all the indications of a great life? You know, adventure, freedom from the restriction and the oversight of parents. But now your friends are gone. Your money's gone. You're, you're homeless. You're broken, emotionally broken, spiritually broken. And you know what? what a, isn't that a beautiful picture of where you can end up when you make foolish decisions. 
And I just say this for our young people's benefit. I mean, you, you, you can figure out how I feel about it. You don't ever want to go to that place. But here's the point. He didn't just go strict, strictly and directly to the pig pen. Where he went was rebelling and selfishness, and not wanting the direction and the care of his parents and looking for the glamour of the world. That's where it starts. This is where it ends. Now, the good side of this story is, and I'll tell it as briefly as I can, he went back to the father's house. Let's read in verse 17. And when he came to himself, this young man, don't you love those words? He came to himself. That means he got his sense back, got his mind back. He's, he'd lost his mind for a while, but now, now all of a sudden he's thinking better. He said this in verse 17, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? Look, how many, my, my, the, the servants in my dad's house have it better than I have it. I will arise, verse 18 says, and go to my father, and will say unto him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. The pride's gone. I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. Now, this is about as good a picture of repentance. Living out what repentance looks like as anything you'll find in the Bible. And repentance starts with a change of mind. That's what the word means. It's a change of thinking. He had been thinking foolishly. It was foolish for him to leave his father's house, right? I mean, he, he knew it now. I didn't go there, but I can read it and I can see it. He made a foolish decision. It was foolish to think that things could be better off in the far country. That's foolish thinking. But it began with a change of heart. True repentance is a change of mind and a change of heart. True repentance is not just a change in your words, saying I'm sorry. It's a change in your thinking. It's a change in your heart. He realized how wrong he would have been to make these decisions. And by the way, again, just looking at it, it's easy for us to look back with 2020 vision, but he could have realized this much sooner. He could have realized this before he actually left home. You're thinking crazy. Couldn't he have? Sure he could have. He could have repented when he was finding himself, distancing himself from his father and, and dis unattached to his father. He could have changed his thinking then. He, he could have realized this when he was going over in his mind what it's going to be like to pack up my bag and get my belongings and head out the door. He could have repented. At any point, he could have repented and said, this is not the right kind of thinking. He could have saved a lot of heartache and tears, right? By the way, there are probably people in this room, I know there are people in this room who've done what he did, left the father's house, left where they should have been and went to another place because I'm one of them. I know there's at least one person here who's done that. But there's probably people in this room who thought about doing it but realized how unwise that had been and they stopped it, right? Aren't you glad you didn't go down that road? Aren't you glad you didn't? So what did he say in verse 18? He said, I'm going to go face my dad. And I'm going to confess how wrong I've been. And so he did it. 
I don't know how he left when he went away, but I know he didn't come back the same way. He might have left with a smile on his face and a bounce on his step. We don't know that. But he came back with his head hung low. And he came back with empty pockets and a lot of regrets and a broken heart. But he's not just thinking about making things right. He's actually going to make things right. I say it again. Look, this is, this is the response of a sinner who realizes how wrong they've been. This is what it looks like. And on one hand, you say, well, that's not very pretty. But on the other hand, it's beautiful. It's beautiful because this is the beginning of the rest of his life. He doesn't have anybody standing over him telling him he was wrong. His heart is telling him he was wrong. He knows he's wrong. And then we see the compassion of the father in verse 20. It says, and he arose and came to his father, his son did. And, but when he was yet a great way off, Amen. his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. When he was still a long ways off, we don't know how far that was. It depends on what part of the country you live in probably, right? Out here, you could be 100 yards away and you couldn't see very far for the hills. But it wasn't that way there. Long ways off, he sees this image coming down the road. The father did. And he ran, the Bible says, to meet him. You know why? Because this is what the father's been waiting for. Perhaps the father's even been praying for this. The father didn't sit back and wait till he gets there and say, See, I told you so. I knew he was making a mistake. You should have listened to him. He didn't do that. He fell on his neck and he kissed him. And the son said what he planned to say to him. He, he acknowledged it. The son said unto him, Verse 21, I've sinned against heaven and in thy sight am no more worthy to be called thy son. I'm so sorry, Dad. I'm sorry for what I did. I'm sorry for how I acted. I'm sorry I made these decisions. I don't deserve, I don't deserve your forgiveness. I don't deserve a place in the family. I'm not worthy to be called your son. Verse 21, verse 22, the father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and he began to be merry. He ordered a celebration. He put a, he, this, no, who knows what the man's clothing looked like and smelled like. Put the best robe on him. Not just a robe. The best robe. A ring on his finger. That's a symbol I'm sure of his inheritance, of his place in the family. Shoes on his feet. He'd been lost. His, he, wasn't, he didn't just lose direction. His life was ruined until he returned. You know, it's not always easy to say I was wrong, is it? It's not easy for me. But he was willing to do it. Now, what is this all about? Jesus is illustrating the way heaven views a repentant sinner. The publicans... The publicans and the sinners were attracted to Jesus and the Pharisees murmured because Jesus was eating with sinners. That's the way they looked at sinners. They looked down their hypocritical noses at sinners. 
But Jesus said, there's rejoicing in heaven when a sinner gets right. Just like a shepherd would rejoice when the sheep is found and the woman would rejoice when the coin is found. Rejoicing in heaven when a sinner repents. God cares about fallen men and women. God loves sinners. Later on in this chapter, I'll not turn to it. It says, for the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which is lost. Like a woman looking for the coin, like a shepherd looking for the lost sheep. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Does, does that mean that God doesn't take sin seriously? No. Does that mean that God overlooks sin like it doesn't matter? No, it doesn't mean that. It means that God wants to make things right. God wants to forgive us of our sin. God wants to cleanse people of our sin, of their sin. I love this chapter. I hope the entire chapter of Luke chapter 15 because it flies in the face of religion that's snobbish and acts like, you know, how could you ever do something so stupid and foolish? But we've all done it. We've all done it. It would be very hypocritical for us to rejoice in God's mercy in our life and not rejoice in God's mercy in someone else's life. God loves sinners. I hope you can be back tonight because we'll look at the second half of this message, really. But I want to I just emphasize two things and we're finished. First of all, this. We've talked today about what it means to be lost. This person wasn't just lost because he left his father's house. He was lost because he turned his back on everything that was right and went out into the far country and lived a very ungodly life. He was lost. He lived like that because he was lost. He was already lost living in the Father's house. He had already lost his bearings. He had lost his way. And, if, and eventually his lostness would become more apparent. So I ask you this today. Please hear me. Are you lost? You say, what do you mean by it? I mean what the Bible says about it. You're not, if you're not saved, if you're not a child of God, if you're not trying to do God's will, that means you're lost. You may not feel like you're lost. You may not think about yourself being lost. You may just think about yourself being normal. But I ask the question, are you, are you lost? And I, I don't say that to be condescending. I say it to be helpful because God cares about lost people. I was lost. That's what the hymn writer meant. Once I was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. I was lost. I wasn't lost because I'd made a wrong turn. I was lost because I'd made a lot of wrong turns. Not physically, but spiritually. And I'll tell you here, if you're today and you're lost, God loves you. So much that he sent his own son to die on the cross for us. God loves you. And he wants to save you. He wants to forgive you. Look, at, look how long it took as far as the father is concerned. Look how long it took for this everything to be made right with the son. How long? A matter of seconds. They hugged. He wept, he kissed him on the cheek, 
and he said, get the best robe, put a ring on his finger, shoes on his feet, kill the fatted calf. That's how long. It, that's the way the Father is. That's how long it takes. That's how long it takes for God to get over every wrong thing you and I have ever done. You know why? Because His Son paid the price on the cross for every th wrong deed you and I have ever done. And the only thing standing between a person being lost and being eternally saved is receiving Jesus Christ and putting your faith in Christ as your Savior. And if you're lost today, you ought to come to Christ. You say, how did I do that? By asking Him to forgive you. What did this man do? What did this man do? Did he get baptized? No. Did he jump through some religious hoops? Did he join an organization? No. You know what he did? He said, I'm wrong. I'm ashamed of what I've done and I confess what I've done is wrong. And the father said, that's all it takes. Everything's right now. And that could be you today. If you've never done that, you ought to come to him today. There's forgiveness with God. I said I want to mention two things. The other one I won't explain as much. Because the other thing we have to think about when we look at these Pharisees and we look at the publicans and we look at the sinners and we look at the sheep and we look at the coin and we look at the Father and the sons and we look at Jesus, we have to ask ourselves this as Christians. How do we feel about lost people? How much compassion do we have for lost people? People that are lost. By the way, those people could be sitting right here among us today, right? They could be where you work. They could be in your family. It's not Christ-like to be judgmental toward lost people. It's Christ-like to be caring towards lost people. Can you see that in that text? Those are the people Jesus, this long explanation was about what? People who criticized Jesus for eating with sinners. God loves sinners. Amen? Aren't you glad he does? I'm glad he does. Otherwise, he never would have looked my direction. Let's stand together, please, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, are you lost today? Maybe an adult, maybe a teenager, young person, but are you lost today? God loves you. Jesus died for you. And if you're standing here today thinking, that's me, I need a Savior, I need to be saved, I'm lost, but I need to be found today, you need to come to Jesus. And you say, where can I do it? You can read it right here this morning. In just a moment, I'm going to be standing down here at the front. People are going to have their heads bowed, they're going to be praying. But if you're today, and you say, that's what I need, just slip out and come right to me, and somebody will talk with you and pray with you. Don't miss this moment. If you're here today and maybe you say, well, I, I, I remember when I was saved, I was born again, but I've kind of lost my way. The 
Father doesn't quit loving you or me when we make mistakes. He cares about us. He forgives us. Maybe today we, we need to rethink every once in a while how we feel about sinners. There could be people here today thinking, you know, there's, there's some things I need to make right because I've done what that young son did. Well, let's do it then. Let's make it right. Father, today I, I thank you for this passage and I pray that your word, Lord, would work in our hearts. God, help us all to think about our own lives and our decisions, our responsibilities. God, please help us.